0: Welcome to the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability Podcast Series. Today we have the opportunity to visit with Dr. Jandell Allen Davis. Hi, Jandell. Uh, hi, hi, Aaron. It is so wonderful to have you with us today. It's
1: so cool to have this opportunity. Thanks.
0: Thank you. So, Dr. Jandell Allen Davis is the president and CEO of Craig Hospital in Denver, Colorado a world-renowned rehabilitation hospital that exclusively specializes in the neurorehabilitation and research of patients with spinal cord and traumatic brain injuries. Dr. Alan Davis was the Vice President of Government External Relations and Research for Kaiser Permanente Colorado from 2009 to 2018. And in that role, she led the organization's government relations and regulatory affairs, community relations and community benefit investment, clinical research activities, stakeholder engagement, communications, and advertising and marketing functions. A little busy. A little busy. (laughs) And Dr. Alan Davis is board certified in obstetrics and gynecology and was active in practice for 25 years. She's a graduate of Dartmouth College and... Dartmouth Medical School, and completed her residency at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia. Uh, Dr. Alan Davis is also a very active participant in the community and currently serves on the boards of the Denver Botanic Gardens, the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce, the National Jewish Health, Mile High United Way, and the Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth. Am I pronouncing Mm -hmm. that correctly?
1: It's Dr. Suss. Theodore
0: Geisel. Theodore Geisel, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is married and has two children. And as I'm sure you can gather from this brief bio, uh, Jandel is extremely busy. And with that especially in mind, uh, thank you so much for joining us today this for this is conversation.
1: an honor and a privilege. So it's all good. It's all good.
0: Well, I'm so excited to dive in. We've been chatting a bit about the connections between the work that you're doing clinically with the patients and your role in the leadership position of this organization. And I mm-hmm. think there are insights we will be gleaning that apply potentially to all of our lives and, and roles in the world. And I guess diving in, will you just tell us a bit about your role and, and what you're doing here?
1: So. Well thanks Erin. I've been at Craigmount. Tomorrow will be five months. Mm. So this is new work and you know if it proves anything uh, it's that you just never know what doors are going to open because Mm. even you know sort of hear what I've done in my life and 25 years I actually practiced. I took care of women and 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 families in terms of obstetrics and gynecology to think that a door would open where you'd find yourself at some point a a ceo and president b of mm. a reha- rehab hospital mm. d or c has a has a uh, an ob it's like yeah. it doesn't make sense and yet when i look through the rearview mirror there is such um logic to how i find myself here mm. and it does have to do with all the experiences that I've had and in particular the clinical experiences let alone mm-hmm. the technical and even sort of the I'd say grooming in a sense that's gone on over these last mm-hmm. nine years but who knew mm-hmm. um it does make sense but at the heart of it for me it makes sense because I have a firm belief that one of my roles on this earth is to be a warrior for the underdog for the vulnerable oh, I love that. so and I had, to, I had to figure that out because I, I get and have had over the years, you know, emails or phone calls about roles that are opening up in other organizations. And I love Kaiser Permanente. I was there for 24 and a half years, and most of that time as a clinician um, in practice. So why this one appealed to me when I was called, and by the way, the first time I was called, I gave the guy the recruiter names and hung up and then was mm. yelled at and encouraged by a friend that he wanted to talk to me, he go, me? So, and so then as I really got to understand a little bit more about this gem, which, interestingly, I knew was here, mm. I knew they did rehab, I never thought about it any beyond that. I wasn't mm. in that part of patient care, so I had no idea what they even rehabbed, as mm. it were. But the more I learned, I said, yeah, let's have a conversation. And then when I knew that I needed to do this interview, I said, you got to be able to tell people why you want this. Slow down long enough. Why is this so attractive to you? Because yeah. it wasn't about money. It certainly wasn't about title or position. Um, it was There was something else. And so that was when it hit me that it's because this patient population represents a level of Vulnerability mm. um, that needs a voice, yeah. needs someone to be their face um, in community, and through the recognition of that this is a it's a social it, the way that we treat people in wheelchairs and with brain injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, We marginalize them. And Mm -hmm. I had to Mm -hmm. even sort of face that myself. Mm -hmm. It's not that I ever thought, oh, you're awful, or I don't like you, or that. But um, we cease to see them. Mm -hmm. We see them as less than. Mm -hmm. And we forget. And that's when it hit me. I said, these are people who woke up with one reality and are going to bed with a very different one. Mm -hmm. I mean, And all of us are one accident away. That's what we have to realize is that we are all uh, potentially could find ourselves at a Craig. Yeah. And then you're not at Craig forever. And then you get to go home and home to what? And mm-hmm. is our communities welcoming and are they safe and are they accessible and all the other sorts of things we need to think about. So it it just got my social justice hackles and my sense of being a warrior for the vulnerable coupled with the healing and the healer mm-hmm. in me who mm-hmm. doesn't touch these patients. Not from mm-hmm. a you know I'm not I'm not a clinician in this role. Um, But the idea of being back with patients and sort of thinking about what I can bring Mm. after, you know, through all those years where I was caring for folks to this work, it is so logical that I'm here. And as a leader, there's something about this particular culture at Craig Hospital, um, how we serve our patients, that I've told everybody I have never been in a place that's more patient and family-centered in terms of care. Mm how we care about and think about our patients in this holistic integrative fashion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, That totally gets me jazzed.
0: It's just amazing as as I shared with you previously a dear friend of mine was here at Craig a a few years ago and he has recovered in such a beautiful way and I remember visiting him just within a couple days after his accident here Mm -hmm. and it was it was one of the most unusual experiences in my life, to see him need to rebuild memory, rebuild story and identity. And I'm struck hearing you talk about your role in the position of leadership as the CEO of this institution that is on the one hand through so many clinicians and professionals providing this incredible service to all of these vulnerable individuals. And on the other hand, you're bringing along the board and other mm-hmm. stakeholders in the institution. And I imagine that your capacity for storytelling and for relating to these different constituents is a huge part of your efficacy as a leader. And I was wondering if you might speak to that a bit, because I think our audience would uh, really learn a lot about that. Yeah,
1: um. Well, first of all, we know, and I'm, you know, I can be a little scientific or something for a minute here. That um, if you want to watch people literally lean in, let alone figuratively lean in, um, link data and information to stories. There's something yeah. about storytelling, you know. Those I, ca- I like to call them those campfire moments where you know you're you're in a groove, you're in a rhythm, you're talking about things, and and it's so much fun when you know some some flash of something comes, and I say, oh, I, want, I, I, I have a story about that, or I remember once, blah, 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 mm-hmm. and then bringing it back home. Um, what excites me, and it's one of the many things that excites me, is thinking about the stories that I get to build over this mm-hmm. next many, many years. I mm-hmm. hope that I'm here at Craig that will serve our patients and serve the world in some way. It'll it'll mm-hmm. be kind of cool. but. Um, the probably one of the coolest I think things that I decided some years ago as I have been this ardent student of leadership let alone had these amazing um, the privilege and honor of leading in a lot of different ways Um, years ago it was 2014 I said or actually before 2014 I said I am gonna one day write a book and I want to write a book entitled everything I ever learned about leadership I learned in the care of patients and I figured it out because when leading my last team, the team I had as a vice president at KP, I found myself always using clinical examples as metaphor for mm. what we were doing. I, I mean, one of my favorite questions to ask the team when trying to get a sense of how, how, what was the health and well-being of, of the teams that these folks led doing or going, I'd say, who's in your ICU? Mm. who's in your ICO and sort of get this look and they go who is literally sick who has some toxin you know in terms of either how they're showing up um, or or being in you know in the presence of the folks on a team in a way that they're spreading you know negativity Mm. like and it is a toxin or a virus who's ill that way who um, is struggling with something that we need to, just like in an ICU, shepherd the resources to figure out what to do to help them either out, help them out, or mm-hmm. help them out, and that's the reality in all institutions too. That you know, we help them out or help them out, mm-hmm. and so that was one. And so you know, there were loads of those sorts of ways that I thought about things. In fact, one I told myself, I'll tell you another great one is I would, when I first started that job nine and a half years ago, that was two thousand nine, and you may remember in, in twenty ten, the Affordable Care Act passed, mm-hmm. and um, and even early in nine. But I had this, I had this crazy. Um, you talk about a learning curve, it's like a baptism by fire for oh government, the government relations part of things. Wow. And I would have to tell myself. I remember saying, you know, when, when the media called, for example, because I had media relations, and this was relatively new for me. Even though we had somebody who was on the team who did media, you're mm-hmm. the she's going to bring it all to you to mm-hmm. help handle, or he's going to mm-hmm. bring it all to you. And I would have to ask myself, is there blood on the floor? Now, what, what do I mean?
2: By
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I'm an obstetrician. There's blood. There's a lot of blood in obst- obstetrics, and there can be whether it's a C-section or a vaginal delivery, or even unfortunately sometime in gynecologic surgery and Mm. what you learn to do over a career um, as you get comfortable with what you're doing is you learn to know when your pulse should quicken Mm. (laughs) and um, or or to recognize when this is you know this is a high drama moment this is an emergency that kind of thing and when you've got time or you can pace things differently and by the way the more that you do the less you see um, that your pulse, you, that you have to react like, oh my god, because you learn, right. you know how to handle it. Yeah. Well, I had to tell somebody, my phrase when I got over to that side of the business and started doing No More Clinical is, all of this stuff is new, and when it's new, it seems like there's blood on the floor everywhere, yeah. <laughs> right? right.
2: <laughs> so I'd have to
1: like slow my roll and say, is there blood on the floor? And, if yeah. there, and then just do a quick assessment, and sometimes you use others to help you assess it, those who live the work longer and then just say chill you got this there's you got people who will help you out of it and that's exactly how the good clinicians practice too Mm. is they didn't look at it as this is mine to solve Mm. i play my role i play my role well and i've got team members who together we're going to figure things out and so you begin to sort so that's another example of this use of story yeah and then you can say oh yeah i remember this one case or and then
0: you're not carrying all of the weight yourself as a solo operator and you're
1: learning and you know how to react and the one thing that i think um is so so important both as a physician and as a leader is coupled with authenticity about Mm -hmm. when things are really icky gotta Mm -hmm. be honest and transparent and that was real important with patients don't lie never lie um never sugarcoat but this notion of authenticity and trans- and transparency in the face of some ickiness, but you never, ever, ever um, lose hope. So my role is to be calm under fire and to um, provide those um, signs in the environment that things are going well. Because that's, so part, you know, there's this, um, this book, Strengths based Leadership, that was written by the guy, is it Rath, who did, um, also wrote um strength finders mm-hmm. and he wrote a follow-on mm-hmm. to that called strengths-based leadership and he and it's one of the Gallup books mm-hmm. and that organization studies everything mm-hmm. and <laughs> you know surveys everything mm-hmm. and he talked about or described that the he d- has a chapter on the needs of followers and he said what followers need is hope compassion stability and trust and we can always always infuse that even in the ickiest of times and that's the case when I'm having to tell somebody that their baby's died. Mm. That's the case when I've got to tell somebody, you're not, you're, you're, you're not going to make it here in, mm. you know, in, in this particular role you're in. That's the case when you have to tell a patient, your problems are of your own making. Mm. I'm here to help you. Mm. Let's work together on whatever it is. That's the case in management and leadership when you're dealing with a performance issue with mm. a, someone. Yeah. I, I'm not, I, I always want to be compassionate and I want to be gentle. I want to make sure that they, they sense my sense of confidence that they can do it. That's the hope part. Yep. And that the ground's not shaken underneath you, even though nobody likes, nobody wakes up in the morning and goes to work and says, I hope somebody tells me I suck today. Oh gosh. So, so, <laughs> yeah. so and, or, and no patient. Nobody wakes up in the morning saying, I think I want to be a patient. So, right. you know, I think there are really right. some cool parallels between what I learned at the feet of my patients, yeah. that um, informs how I show up as a leader. So, yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: you were mentioning to me earlier this afternoon that uh, you see your role as a clinician interacting with patients often as similar to being a personal coach <laughs> or a life coach. And it sounds like you do the very same thing with your colleagues and the folks working in the organization <laughs> under your authority and uh that's probably a skill we develop over time uh and it, when it's well developed it's a remarkably powerful skill isn't yeah it?
1: you know what's funny i had a colleague some years ago who i'll never forget this line um you know we we um give to physicians you know a whole lot of you know sort of homage or, or sort mm-hmm. of a sense of omnis- omniscience or uh, <laughs> that, that is not true um, and in healthcare there is well we know a lot and we continue to learn more and more about mm-hmm. you know sort of whether it is biomes of all sorts or genomes mm-hmm. or you name mm-hmm. it let alone mm-hmm. in this space that I get to work in now um, how this thing called the brain works we yeah. are learning more and more and we don't we use such a tiny Um, component you know portion of it all these things like we've known forever just drive more questions Mm -hmm. and that has the power to to humiliate which is good Mm -hmm. keep us humble Mm -hmm. keep us very humble in terms of yeah you you answer a question and seven more pop up Mm -hmm. on that topic Um, and so one of the really cool things about what I get to do here. Um, As a doc, and it was the same there. Is this notion of you know what you know, but you don't know what you don't know. And Mm -hmm. I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm learning. I'm being (laughs) a little silly, but I'm learning um, how the, you know, the sciences of brain and spinal cord injury, in part because I'm curious and interested. Mm -hmm. But what I get to do when I walk the halls, our patients stay here for, you know, months, weeks for sure, and months in some cases. So I get to see them along their journey, Mm. But some, from the moment they arrive, if I'm asked to make sure I check in on somebody. Yeah. Um, but others, I've just gotten more and more comfortable at just walking up to folks in the hall and saying hello because they're going to be here. We're going we're to bond. Yeah, so you're I get living friends. For I a get while. F- yeah, I get friends around <laughs> here, I call them. And I get to see their progress because I don't see them every day. Yeah. And I yeah. think one of the coolest mm. contributions I can make, I like to think, to their recovery or that notion of hope compassion stability and trust Mm -hmm. is when i see them i do see them i get to see the miracles i get to see the miracles Mm -hmm. i get to Mm -hmm. watch the recovery but i'm not you know the one who's seeing it incrementally day after day and to be able to say oh my god look what you can do wow um this is this is amazing because they can't see it you know it just you you know you you can't see it um and uh, uh, and when i was in clinical practice telling a patient You know who I might have been rounding on the hospital every day you're doing better you're doing better it's it's not the same as a week goes Mm -hmm. by or when I see him back in the office at six weeks for a check it's like wow Mm -hmm. look how much better you're doing so Mm -hmm. I get to do that here Um, the same goes for how I think we need to think about coaching and growing our teams is when we see when we see Changes in terms of how they're really leaning into trying to get better at what they do. Point it out and tell them the stories and give them the examples. If I saw you doing XYZ, that was awesome. Mm. Um, that kind of thing. So, again, it's that I think one of our, our most important roles as a leader. I, I like to say is these need to be three times as big as this, even though it, right now it's not <laughs> in this particular. Well, this is a, it's <laughs> this, a podcast. Okay, this is OK. Yeah, it'd be a mess if I was quiet. It <laughs> kind of wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't well. work. <laughs> but, um, uh, but so it's to, it's to use all those other senses, which we also do in medicine, by the way, yeah. use all those other senses to, to, to help read the environment. Mm. And so it's kind of a cool thing to get to walk around these halls and watch patients get better and know that through that lens of hope, compassion, stability, and trust, how are you helping them to see what they can't see? And the same goes to the folks that you get to work alongside.
0: It's beautiful. What I'm hearing is sometimes this perspective that you can bring in your position that is less frequent than some of the other interactions and, and interactors brings a special potency to it. And it makes me think of that phrase, less is more. Mm -hmm. and occasionally when I'm working with executive teams and folks that I'm helping in the realm of leadership and sustainability I will tell them you don't want me with you every day of the week I will actually be less effective Mm -hmm. for you that way and not that that's necessarily true for each and every one of us in each and every positions we can play in the world but it does seem in certain positions that occasional touch point becomes almost homeopathic in nature, it becomes such a strong opportunity for reflection, for change, for feedback, and so forth. And what I'm hearing is you do this routinely in your work. your work.
1: You know, I... I'm about to say something that sounds anything but humble. I think it's how I... It's just who I am. Mm. And I know you didn't ask, well, how... I do it routinely in work, but it's as natural as breathing if you just yeah. let it be. You know, yeah. if you don't feel like you as a leader need to walk around buttoned up, or you have some sort of sense of the archetype, some archetype of what a leader mm-hmm. is. It's yeah. anything other than just, you know, a leader is someone who, they're, first of all, they are servants. Yeah. We sit at the feet of the people. We don't lead people. We serve those people. And, and mm-hmm. some of that serving, a, a big dose of that is coaching and mentoring and guidance. And yeah. then there's inspiration and vision setting and all the other things we have to think about. Um, but your your comment um gosh it just made me think of something it'll come back but um uh, yeah we don't see them we don't see them, it'll come back i totally lost it that's okay well,
0: come well back. let me uh that's actually a really funny segue for me to ask you another question i'm okay. just burning to ask so you're working here in a setting where folks are dealing with uh, injuries and issues related to the brain and to neurology. Mm-hmm. I've heard it said, and I don't know if this is still considered true, but I've heard it said that we understand more about outer space than we do about the brain and our own neurological systems. Mm-hmm. What, what's going on with our neurology? What, what is all this that allows us to interact the way we do, communicate, learn, etc.?
1: Oh, well, he thinks i have the answer to that <laughs> i'm going to write the te- i wrote the, it's a textbook it's right sitting right over there i'll just make sure i share it with people who knows i i think I, when i think about that part of sort of life mm. i have this like my husband says i have a memory like an elephant mm. and i can remember things from childhood i remember songs i remember <laughs> poems i mean things from tiny tiny i can remember smells and being places and sort of a sense of even lighting of things as a little kid and even as I got older. <laughs> and I find myself sometimes thinking if a you know a song comes on the radio and I just go la, la 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 and I go, gosh, where is that stored? How is that stored? Let alone well, I mean I think we get the why. Or we've made up a why as humans. The why is mm. because there's this iterative sort of forward nature and everything that we've learned prepares us for whatever is next. Mm. So maybe it makes sense or has some applicability. A lot of it doesn't. But I don't, I don't, and I say, is it ones and zeros? I mean, that's what a computer would say. It's ones yeah. and zeros. Um, I, I don't know. But there is something magical about the brain. And the part of it that actually interests me more than the, um, the uh, cerebral cortex is the the um, the mid part of the brain the the more Mm. primitive parts of the brain Mm. um, you know the hippocampus and some of those places where um, we store our unconscious and our subconscious sort of sense of things the part that gets us to work every morning Without killing anybody while we're talking on the phone. We shouldn't right. be. And drinking coffee. Or <laughs> and dr- or, or you, you know how it is when you find yourself at work and say, I have no idea how I got here. Yep. And so there is this, this other, I think we need to, to pay way more attention to that, not only understanding neurologically what it is, but um, tapping into that to understand our motivations and what, yeah. we're, what we're, you know, that notion of real um, self knowledge. Because it's back there. It's not in mm. these, you know, these big old cortices here, which we have the ability to learn. But it's the primitive parts that, and actually even the transfer of what we learn from here that becomes subconscious, so that driving is as natural as whatever, or the, these elite athletes can do what they do yeah. without even thinking about it. I, I, there is, the thing that excites me, and I know I won't be around mm. to to um to learn it all, because I think, as I said, you answer one question and seven more pop up. Um, it is going to be exciting what we learn about the brain. Mm. I've heard stories, um, and one, uh, and I can't remember who in the hospital told it to me, but a patient who, after a severe brain injury, could suddenly do amazing art, and Mm. they didn't do art before.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we
1: recruit and we use um, the accommodating way that the brain sort of picks up where the other part or comes in when another part goes out. It is pretty remarkable the to hear our music um, or our, our speech therapists and we have music therapy here where we're using music to help people mm-hmm. uh, learn how to count right to, mm-hmm. the, or to or um, to pace themselves when they're walking or to speak again because it that whole notion of music comes from I guess a different part of the brain than necessarily you know the way that we express or even. Uh, hear information around the uh, the parts of the brain, Wernicke's and Broca's area. I remember that from high yeah. school. Yeah. And uh, expressive and um, receptive aphasia where you, if you hurt that part of your brain, you either don't understand what people are saying or you can't express it in a way that you can hear it. So, I mean, it's just one complicated organ, and I find myself thinking, then how does and complex? How does it recover? This is all the cool mm-hmm. stuff that. Um, you know, we're going to figure stuff out. And, and and the pace at which we're figuring stuff out in science just in general is... Remarkable whew, right now. It's accelerating so much. Yeah. We may actually figure out a whole lot before I leave this earth. Right. Kind of cool. <laughs> I that's hope so. I
0: do. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a thread here. We're talking about an incredibly complex and adaptable organ, uh, if we can call it that. We're also... This is our Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series where we explore linkages between health and well-being at the the individual, the family, the community scale and how that links up to global-scale issues of sustainability, regeneration, stewardship, etc. And I'm really curious about the insights you might have around behavior change Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: around adaptability and our ability to wake up one day sometimes because we have to not that we want to and and suddenly we've got a very different situation Mm -hmm. and we can learn to respond to that. I'm curious if we might take some cues and more proactively choose behavior change as well vis-a-vis some of these broad and complex issues we face as a society but I'm just curious on this topic of adaptability and behavior change if anything comes to mind for you.
1: You know, it's one of the words that um, I was saying before we got started, that we had this amazing conversation as a, a group of 20 mm. or so, actually more than that, I guess, 24, 25 leaders today, mm. on what makes Craig so special. They talk about this thing called the Craig culture. And back in 2004, the then CEO, actually the first CEO of this remarkable place, um, of the modern Craig, because Craig's been around since
2: 1907.
1: Mm. but um, Uh, penned along with a number of other folks in the organization this thing called the Craig recipe and it's like what makes this place so darn special and what makes it hum and I happened to find it in a drawer right after I started here and I just got this huge smile I said my gosh I've been here maybe two or three weeks by then and um, I read this and said gosh a place still functions like this (laughs) and I don't even know that many people even you know there's enough turnover in In workforces, even though we certainly have some people with long tenures, that there's a lot of people who've never even seen this, and Mm. yet I can tell you that this thing is hardwired, hardwired as can be. And so, um, when we we had this great discussion today about why does it endure? What do we need to think about adding in terms of you know, in light of changing the changing external environment and even internal environment, and are these still the right is this still the right recipe and so forth? And listening to this incredibly committed group of people talk, uh, leaders talk about this topic. First of all, it was cool to watch that happen and think this doesn't happen in most organizations where we make the time to have a discussion like this as leaders and think about what's our accountability and responsibility to lead um, and to serve. Um, but I went to this place of thinking about organizations as trees. Yeah. I love trees, yeah. <laughs> but uh, trees and really that notion of the metaphor of the roots. I mean, what is the substrate that makes this possible,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that makes this sustainable? And, and of course, then you get this sort of heavy feeling and don't screw it up, Alan Davis, <laughs> don't let it go. But I, I, I threw into the room a few things. It strikes me that it's things like resilience and adaptability and joy mm. and um, determination and mm. hope. And uh, and then someone else said, you know, this notion of um, we come to work here out of a real sense of, um, uh, mm. oh, God, it went out of my head, that, that the notion of generosity. It will uh, come in a minute. Yeah. But that you really want to help these folks in a way that um, uh, As I said, and then what hit me was, as I said, these are the this is the most vulnerable time. These Mm. folks are like there's nobody more vulnerable than someone who is in one of these horrific, catastrophic accidents who often can't feed themselves when they first you know can't Mm -hmm. go to the bathroom. All these things that we take so for granted, Um, and. Our job is to, to help restore that, obviously rehab, get people that using adaptability and resilience, but also hope, mm-hmm. and, the, and celebrating the small victories through a lens of joy. And mm-hmm. I see determination like I've never seen. I mean, there's something about these accidents when they happen to people that many say they didn't wake up wanting it to happen, but they'd never want to go back to the way they were before, because wow. of what they have tapped into in terms of their you know parts of them back to whether it's their literally their brain or um, their you know their neurologic system in terms of uh, you know the compensatory things that can happen in this space um, but it's more that what they discover about themselves that they didn't know or because this is a place that has um, lots of uh, has access to and provides sort of this holistic team-based approach to care there are things that insurance doesn't pay for, but that we have these amazing donors who allow for, like, mm. therapeutic mm. recreation, where people. But they have they have these outings, and one of the weekends' outings two ago was to go do archery.
2: Cool. Well, cool.
1: I'd like to do that. Yeah, I think. Seriously. And then people discover that they can do things they didn't know mm. that they either had the capacity for, or even in their former life would have never had the opportunity to be exposed to these things. So wow. there's this. Yeah. There's this, um, you know, It. I told them at the end of my kind of thinking out loud thing, I said, we live in a place with, um, you know, sort of this, this sort of sense of um, the, the contradiction in terms of uh, what you think you should feel and see and hear here and what we actually do. It's there. It, it, it's. It just blows me away that we do it and... And because we do it, I think it changes us. And I am convinced. Mm -hmm. This sounds corny as can be, but it's not true. I think we are better because we get to serve these patients and these families the way that we get to um, do so. And do we in turn then take that out to the world and what's that look like in terms of our own relationships with others who we get to hang with, our families, our friends? We are changed by this just as much as our patients are. It's, yeah, it's it so
0: beautiful. It's palpable walking You can in be here. okay. Yeah, and you would expect a facility like this to perhaps uh, have a, a vibe of Debbie Downer or something like that, right? But it's not at all. Wow. So Folks are so friendly, even down in the lobby. I was struck. It was like encountering a handful of new friends.
1: You know, it's, um, I, I've told back to now a clinical reality that um, translates beautifully into leadership. Um, And these folks just reinforce this belief for me that I've had for a long time. And I used to say it to, and I do still say it to to leaders and and folks, is that our people want to see and be seen by us. They want to be seen by and be seen by us. And you end up in a chair, or you end up not being able to quite get the words out right, or you end up severely disabled, and what people want more than anything else, and this is what the nuns taught me <laughs> in Catholic school, is that mm. all life has dignity, all work has dignity, and you want to still be treated in that same um, way. You want to be received in that same way. You don't want to be seen as lesser. So I was real uncomfortable at first when I came over, just walking up to people in, in chairs and, and or our patients and saying hi, in part because I felt like I was um, um, uh, invading their privacy. Hmm. And they want nothing more than to say hi. First of all, everybody wants to talk about how great it is here. I get that, but they want to know that you see. And then I'll say, "I'm the president and CEO. or I'm the president of the hospital." And go, "Oh, I get to talk to the president. So it's not a big deal." You know, I put them on the same way you do, or you know, all on the, the same. All. We're you know, this is so, so, um, yeah. It's uh, people want to see and be seen by, us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and the sense and the, our ability to open up our hearts and sort of really be as vulnerable as our patients are, you know, to experience that and to live that, occupy that space in the same way that they do, obviously without the physical um, barriers, but more just, if you think about when that happens, what's that patient feeling? Fear, hopelessness, shock, um, worry, concern. There are things on that desk over there that can bring out the very same right. <laughs> emotions yeah. in me. Right. And what I'm looking for then is somebody to see me or, yeah. Yeah. or, or to, to help me. And yeah. so yeah. Uh, we get to do that here. And, and I, think that's what, I think that's what the world is longing for, is leaders who will, will, will show up that way. Because then they'll help you. People are willing to go to the wall for you if, they, if you are willing to ask and to show your humanity and your humanness.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Well, speaking of cultivating our leadership abilities, capacities, I'll take the opportunity to make a couple quick public service mm-hmm. announcements. Um, this is the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. And we're visiting today with Dr. Jandel Allen Davis at Craig Hospital in Denver, Colorado. And we've got some really exciting things to share with you in May, May 17th to 19th, uh, the Why on Earth community is hosting a three-day leadership summit and it's called Massively Mobilizing Sustainability, Deep Leadership for the 21st Century and we're bringing together a small group of amazing leaders, authors, uh, community activists to have a rich cross-disciplinary discussion and learning together for uh, capacity enhancement for educators, executives, and entrepreneurs. And although it's not totally official yet, it sounds like Jandell may be joining (laughs) us as well, which is going to be fabulous. Um, I want to also mention that this podcast is made possible in part uh, through the generosity and collaboration with our sponsors the International Society of Sustainability Professionals, the Association of Waldorf Schools of North America, Waylay Waters, Earth Coast Productions, and Purium. And you can use the code YONEARTH at any of those websites uh, to get discounts on the products and services that are available. And also, finally, for any of you who might be interested in our audiobook or ebook resources at the Y on Earth community uh, market, you can use the code Y on Earth for discounts on those at w- as well. And that's uh, the letter Y on Earth org. I am so excited about the programming that we're going to be able to share with folks in May and through this podcast, Jendel, mm-hmm. And One of the things that strikes me as we're talking through all of this, there's so much going on in the, if we can call it, the microcosm of Craig Hospital and the folks that you're serving here that can really broadly apply to so many big system and big picture issues and challenges we're facing as a society. Mm -hmm. And I remember speaking with you about this little uh, four-letter acronym and mm-hmm. I, I, I remember a friend joking recently about TLAs and, and having an aversion to TLAs, and I'm looking, at them like, what's a TLA? Three-letter acronym. Oh, and okay. uh, I just couldn't I, help but crack up. So I guess yeah. this is an FLA, four, a four-letter acronym. Right. And it's, it's VUCA, and I think you first shared this with me a couple of years ago mm-hmm. when we were chatting. And it's, it's such a brilliant framework for understanding some of the stressors, really, that we're experiencing in life at every scale. And then there's sort of a next step or or a companion acronym to go with VUCA mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well. And I was hoping you'd talk about that chat a bit. tiny
1: bit about that. Yeah. Well, VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Mm. And you know, you'd hear those words mm. and think, what sort of Naropa-like place came up with VUCA? Right. Well, it turns out it's actually the military. The military. There, how's that yeah. for Naropa? <laughs> um, uh, the,
2: <laughs> a little I different. hope that doesn't get me in trouble. Uh, <laughs> a little different. But, uh
1: and it actually was a, a phrase that was coined in the military in the post Cold World Cold War era. Yeah. Where yeah. I mean if you think that we started fighting and conflicts started looking different across the, the globe after the Cold War thing. You, mm-hmm. And and only heightened after nine one where you really don't know where and I mean I it, it's why we've seen so many more brain injuries, not only is the <laughs> It's not just about the technology or the instruments of destruction. It's that wars are fought and conflicts look different, and uh, who's engaged in it. So,
2: mm.
1: the late '90s, they finally took this, you know, sort of started writing and really coined this VUCA phrase in the military. Um, and then, um, after nine one one, business picked up on it. It sort mm. of started getting out, and I happened I happened upon it quite by accident one day a few years ago, on the internet, um, and. There is an antidote to VUCA. It's vision, understanding, clarity, and agility. And you know, uh, I'm reminded of another story. I do love telling stories. Fabulous. Uh, There was, and this is a story that maybe others know, and it's about sense making. Because if you think about vision, understanding, clarity, and agility in the face of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. what we have the opportunity to do, and I dare say as crazy as things can feel at any given point, we have the obligation and responsibility to do is to sense-make. Hmm. And so the story is, and I'm going to tell it wrong, but I'll, I'm going to do it anyway, um, it goes back to World War I and, or two. Anyway, back to one of the wars, and uh, one of the leaders sent a group of See, I don't even know all the military things. A platoon, a, a, uh-huh. a band, which is not <laughs> even close to right, but a group of soldiers out um, on some sort of a mission. Yeah. Uh, and this was over in um, the, the Swiss Alps, I believe. So they're yeah. there, and they do their thing. And this snowstorm comes in, and they get terribly lost. Yeah. And they get, a, they get really freaked out. The, they don't know. They've lost contact with them back at base, at the base the um the leader is feeling terrible about you know feeling horribly guilty about this happening. Well they do end up um the the uh, the leader of this group platoon <laughs> I don't know what you call, it. We call anyway it platoon, we'll call yeah. that we'll call that <laughs> um finds a map in the bottom of his rucksack mm. and they use this map and they navigate themselves um back and out. And they're in the hospital and they look at this map and it wasn't even a map of the Swiss Alps it was a map of the Pyrenees and so the the sort of moral of the story is when you're lost in a snowstorm any map will do when you're (laughs) lost in the forest any map will do when you're lost in your life any map will do when you're lost and not quite sure how to do what you know challenges facing you any map will do and what that maps, I mean, you can think of all the ways and what the things, what did that give to them, since it wasn't a, maybe all mountains are the same is what it means. But I kind of doubt, doubt it. I kind of doubt it. There's yeah. was the up and the down part, but beyond that, who knows. But what, um, what, what that gave them was a true north for the moment, pardon mm-hmm. the pun. Um, some way of saying, OK. It gave them this sense of hope and confidence. OK, look, we found one. Let's just follow this. Um, VUCA does the VUCA Prime attempts to do the same thing. In that moment where you want to poop your pants. Man,
2: mm-hmm. yep. You
1: are that you are that afraid. And and we all know sometimes we can look cool as cucumbers on the surface and be yeah. scared spitless. It can be a new opportunity like this one where you go, Holy cow, I don't know what a CEO and a president does. I think they made a mistake. <laughs> so, which was my January first crazy meltdown. Um wow. Yeah. Where you, you just sort of that. have this yeah. moment where you go, they made a mistake, oh my God, I can't do this job. And well, then what you have to do, and I had to do it with myself even in that case, was just take a pill. What do you know? What do you <laughs> don't know? I didn't literally take a pill. Actually, I waited till 3 o'clock, and I knew that somewhere in the world it was 5 o'clock, and I had a glass of wine, and okay. <laughs> I yeah. could think clearly.
0: A, an- another <laughs> uh, aspect of the microbiome we can be grateful that's for. Right? Amen. Microbiome,
1: absolutely. Of wine, to, uh, out, grapes
0: to wine. To, that's right. <laughs> those sugars.
1: Um, but uh, what that story tells me is that in those, those moments where, and you've got to have the uh, intuition to know when people are at that space, and I think we are societally at that place. Yeah for sure right now we do have the option to choose and that's where these cerebral cortices do help because we can choose our reaction to things and this notion of sense making providing the map telling yourself what you know and what you don't know um, seeking as much clarity as you can about a thing recognizing that when things actually are uncertain complex and ambiguous you're not going to see a whole lot of clarity, but there's a few things out there that tells you that the, the world is. And just chart a course and, and take that course. It gets back to my, is there blood on the floor? Right. Ask yourself, is there really blood on the floor? Right. Um, when there is, you have to figure out what is the response. And mm-hmm. I think given some of the crazy that we're all living in right now, this isn't where you answer the question, no, there's no blood on the floor.
2: Mm. There's
1: blood on the floor. Mm. We then have to decide, how do we want to engage and react to that bloody floor? Yeah. Is it ranting and raving on a Facebook mm-hmm. post? Is mm-hmm. it you know, burning signs? Is it doing whatever the heck is it? Or is it thinking about, in my small ecosystem, my small community, whatever that may be, what are the things that we can say and point to that things are actually there's far more goodness going on than there is negativity. And where there is negativity, how do you um, effectively use your voice
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, to combat that? And what's not destructive, what's not helpful? And by the way, secure your own oxygen mask first. I decided yep. three days ago, I am not listening to news for a while. Mm-hmm. Just can't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. There was There was the end of last week, and it was this whole thing that's with this Smollett this Mm -hmm. artist the actor who did what he did where I realized oh and then there was the coach from uh, the New England Patriots that's when Mm -hmm. I said I can't do this anymore I said I had this moment where I realized this is like wallowing in like sort of Taking in dirt every day or something—what is yeah. this doing to us on a cellular level? Yeah. And that's in that moment you have a choice. Said, I'm gonna, I said, "I'm—I mean, it's mm-hmm. not like I'm going to become some big ignoramus. It's not like I'm mm-hmm. going to ignore what's going on. But I can choose what and when and how to take this in, yeah. and I also can choose how to react to it. Yeah. And so I think this notion of VUCA, that was a long way of telling the VUCA story—you uh, know, of vision understanding, clarity, and agility. It requires slowing down. It Absolutely. requires turning some stuff off, as I just said.
2: Great.
1: It requires throwing the agendas away at meetings like we did today, and just <laughs> rapping, having a rap session you know, for showing my age, <laughs> and allowing people to put their voice in the room in a way that's different. Because you know that it's out of that that there's a sense of, I can feel Earth.
2: Mm-hmm. The
1: Earth is solid. Um, we can see our way through this. And by the way, while the world may be changing around us in healthcare, we've got all the right stuff to know how to mm. weather the storm. We got the map, and we or we can make the map. Yep. We can make the map. We don't have to wait for somebody. You know, just don't sit by the side of the road and await rescue. Ain't nobody coming. We can yeah. do this. We can yeah. do this. So, yeah.
0: Well, it's so it's it's so interesting. I know we need to wrap up in just a couple minutes, and there's there's one final. thing. Red, I, I know I would, I would feel remiss if I didn't ask this. When I hear you talking about the observational capacity, is there blood on the floor? When I hear you talking about the sort of self-regulating awareness that says it's time to turn off the radio, it's time to turn off the news. When I hear you talking about uh, being in a leadership meeting with 24 of your senior team saying we need to throw the agenda out for a moment and do this other thing what i'm hearing what i'm experiencing actually it's kind of cool to feel is that there's a de-stressing there's there's a lowering of maybe even the stress hormones that would Mm -hmm. otherwise respond to these things in a different way and i'm I'm just curious if one of the keys in in all of this that we're discussing in our own lives and how we're serving others and our roles as leaders and in our responses to some of the big challenges that we're seeing in the world if we each become a bit more perhaps intelligent, I don't know if there's a better word, about managing that neurobiochemical response system that we've Mm -hmm. got that that might be one of the kind of keys or parts of the map or or something.
1: It absolutely is and and, you know so you can start from that space of talking about we have the opportunity to choose our reactions. Mm. Um, It does start though with having a a deeper sense of uh, where you are, both physiologically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, mm-hmm. physically, mm-hmm. Um, in any given instance. It's sort of like there's a there's another old uh, book that was written. It's actually a, sort of a true story. It's called The House of God. Mm-hmm. And it was written in the late 70s. And it's about an intern going through his internship at the Beth Israel in Boston. Mm-hmm. And he has these rules. They're these House of God rules. And one of the House of God rules is in an emergency, no, in a code where somebody's heart is stopped during a code. First, take your own pulse. Wow! You know, so that's why. I mean, it's a wow. it's an amazing book. There are those who think it's kind of cynical, but um, <laughs> that one in an emergency, take your own pulse. So there's this moment where you need to stop, and you do need to sort of assess where you are, because I think what happens over time, and I've unfortunately. Um, lived in an environment like this. Kids live in environments like this, you know, and some of the sort of the chronic toxic stress that yeah. we, you know, that's been so well described in kids. That toxic stress exists in our workplaces, it mm. exists in our homes, our families, it can and it certainly exists in our community. Mm. And I think this really weird thing in terms of how this back to this thing is wired happens. We can pretty quickly get addicted to the 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 drama
2: yeah
1: um and i think we've lived that for sure or at least i i will own and i have over these two years i mean it got to the point where i'd get in the car at night and go let me see what happened today mm. and it's as much to sort of it's feeding something that must be on some level pleasurable that we're not even aware of yeah but mostly it is as destructive and toxic as taking a little arsenic every day mm. or finding yourself addicted to opiates over time yeah in terms of the the lull, the pull of wanting to see what the crazy leaders have done mm-hmm. this week or, mm-hmm. or today, because you know there is this point, and sort of so so there's a self awareness part that you got to do. Take your own pulse, and um, recognize the power, the because addi- this is addiction. I right. mean, it's just a different kind of, a, it's not mm-hmm. not as um, obvious in addiction, but we are living in a place, we are living in a space where we are addicted to the drama, yeah. you know, where there's some yeah. voyeurism that's playing mm-hmm. out here that's not healthy for any of us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that um, that's the first part of sort of figuring out, is there blood on the floor, is um, being able to just sort of check into how you're feeling. And looking at things, are because I actually think there's some data that shows that the amount of alcohol intake that has really increased mm-hmm. in our society mm-hmm. over the last Couple three years, Mm. Um, so are you are you finding yourselves responding and reacting to stress in some ways in terms of sort of then after the sort of if there's a cycle ooh I want to know what's going on oh listen to all that ooh ooh and Mm. then ooh you know in terms of what it literally physically does to you Mm. I'm talking about the emotional I mean physically and then what do you do to self medicate you know what's all that self medication looks like look like. and is it healthy or not? And then how do you pull back from it, I think, is the, the big question that we have to ask ourselves and how we manage that. And again, look around the environment then, around what is certain. I remember working with my team, one of my teams, at a time that was super, super stressful. And I said, one of the best things we can do, and I remember grabbing the, the table yeah. and saying, is find that solid earth. When it is this VUCA thing, find the solid You know, look around, that's still here. What has not changed in our environment that helps me know that I'm still where I was before I lost my mind and let the crazy in? And then we would do that exercise with ourselves. Well, we still have a healthy team. We're still checking in. We're still figuring out who's in our ICU. We're still being creative. We're still, we're still, we're still. (laughs) Just as a moment to say, okay, now we can manage that. Mm -hmm. that's when agility comes in that's when we get at least enough of a pause from the crazy to figure out what's our map forward how are we going to wade through this and maybe we won't be able to wade through it in terms of being able to affect or impact the big picture Mm -hmm. but the little picture rocks too and if Mm -hmm. we could get more people to do that you know we can turn this puppy around I mean when you think about even sustainability in the sort of more literal sense you know i find myself thinking why am i composting and i do
2: <laughs> it's
1: like, why am I? I love it by the way yeah, i think 20, it's a cool 20. thing to do but we need way more than me and you composting right. given this earth yeah um why do i recycle mm-hmm. when we know there are people who don't there are businesses organizations that don't well it's because i'm doing I, i'm controlling what i can control mm-hmm. and through that and even mentioning to people yeah i got three compost bins out back. Yeah. I'm probably not the best composter, but I use the stuff in my gardens. Yeah. But I, I mean, in terms of, I don't go out and turn it the way I'm supposed to, that stuff, but it works.
0: There are um, lots of critters in there, I'm sure are a fine. fabulous job. It's fine, because
1: I'll go out in the spring and go, oh, look at that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not, that's a whole nother lesson. Don't overcomplicate it. It's not that complicated. A lot of this yeah. stuff we overcomplicate. So um, we have to do our part. Um, and then talk about our part to see how do we make the little ripples out by influencing um, the environment in which we're in, as opposed to worrying about the stuff that I, you know, that at, a, at a systems level that, wouldn't it be nice if I had a magic wand? Wouldn't it be nice if any of us had a magic wand? If someone has one, for God's sake, somebody wave the damn thing so we could get some crazy out of things. But we don't. So you, you do these incremental things. That, it reminds me of that, that terrible of the starfish or something, do you know, uh, that one, the little boy on the beach and, then, you know, I guess this happens that he came upon, there were like thousands of starfish that had washed up on the beach and he's picking one up and throwing them back in, pick one, and somebody uh, comes by and says, oh why, yeah. you, why are you bothering? Yeah. You, can, you can't save all, the, you, you can't make a difference, look at this. And this kid says, I saved this one. Right. And that's the way I think we need to look at this. Yeah. Um, which requires, I think, a wholesome presence, hmm. both in terms of being able to check in on yourself, a wholesome presence and being able to check in on your buddies, whoever yeah. they may be, including family and friends in your workplace, and knowing when you just need to turn off and take
0: care of you. Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: So beautiful.
1: <laughs> it was well, fun.
0: Maybe we all together get to wave that wand over time. Yeah. That's and that's what we part need. of what's happening.
1: That's the yeah. movement that we've... We've got, and we, and, and I, I am concerned that what we as humans tend to do mm. is think that when something's kind of wacky, we need to make big changes. I can tell you another uh, quick clinical. I know we're talking too long, but I was a, great. a medical student doing a, a pediatric ICU rotation at Children's Hospital National Medical Center in D.C. Mm. Came down from New Hampshire and did this, this sub-internship as a fourth-year med student. And that was back in 1983 when they let us do a lot more mm-hmm. <laughs> as medical students than you'd ever get to do today um and that's a good thing by the mm-hmm. way um and in some ways maybe not so good but it's a, it's overall a good thing from a patient safety perspective so i had this kid in the icu who was this ex-premie who was uh was he two and a half or three he was mm-hmm. no he was not yeah he's probably about two and he weighed 17 pounds Hmm. He was so what we'd use, failure to thrive, or thrive, and it was all because of the pulmonary complications from being premature, and we didn't have what we have today to treat it back then. Hmm. And, and, and this kid was my kid, and there was this one night that I was working in the ICU along with the critical care fellow, and we had two babies not doing well in the ICU. So hmm. I literally, me and this nurse, the nurse and I had to take care of this kid all night. And he was having, we were having trouble, this is way clinical, but we were having trouble stabilizing his pulmonary artery pressures, and there was a drug, which I don't even remember the name of now, that we used to sort of bring those pressures down when we saw him getting high. And we were fighting this all night, and I'd go over and talk to the the fellow who was working with another critically ill kid and tell him what's going on, and he'd be trying to make adjustments. This nurse and I bonded in a way that I will never forget, because there was something spiritual about the two of us sort of locked <laughs> in mortal <laughs> combat with something, the Grim Reaper or whatever, over this baby. And it was almost shift change. We're exhausted. So I'd been up the whole day before and the whole night. And we still hadn't really gotten this kid's um, uh, pressure stabilized. This is another one I use with um, teens or, or talk to folks about. And then it's time to sort of get the bed and get the kid clean, you know, sort of set for the day nurses who come in, who's going to have him at 7 o'clock. And mm. so the nurse is doing what she does. And she took this kiddo's head as she's sort of rearranging things and just changed the head ever so. And we watched the pressures normalize and stay normal. Here we were all night pushing God knows how many, you know, sort of CCs of the meds, nothing that would hurt the kid, but and not able to kind of figure out what the heck was going on and simply turning the head did something and tr- that it wasn't magic there was probably something um uh and he was intubated he was you know, he, he was on a ventilator cuz that's what had happened he'd had a respiratory arrest at home and mm. we just couldn't get him off the vent but Um, or didn't during the four weeks I was there, because when I left, he was still there. Mm. Um, But to think it was something that simple, and I always remembered that, is that often we try so hard, so hard, so hard, and it's often... We don't need, like, huge swings, which we're seeing. I mean, the Mm. backlash in this country to what's happening regarding racism, or um, you name the isms that we're seeing, um, is... I'm not sure that the response to that from, I'll say it, the left, is mm. any more, is any healthier than mm. what we've seen and have been living. You often don't need to go that far, so mm. I say, just turn the baby's head. Mm. Just, yeah, and, I, and I tell myself that, I, I will the always remember that story, she just turned, the, and it wasn't even a big turn, she just kind of reorged it, get the sheets and get them all cleaned up before the day nurse came in, and she just turned the baby's head. And his pressure stabilized, and I was able to leave that. And we just both, I remember we looked at each other like,
2: oh my God, it's simple. Right.
1: Not heroic. Nothing heroic or or sexy. Turn the baby's head.
0: (laughs) I love it. Well, maybe we'll coin a phrase. Just turn the baby's head. That's right. It can become viral. When there's
1: blood on the floor, turn the baby's head. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Love it. So... Well, thank you, Jandell, so much oh, for being with us. This was a pleasure. Us. Thank you. Such a joy to be able to speak with you, and uh, to, on behalf of all of our audience, thanks for taking so much time out of your day. Really yeah. appreciate
1: it. And this is, as I say, when we get to do these things, we actually get more from them than we get. So mm-hmm. this was cool, and I'll see you in May.
0: Sounds great. Yay! I'll see you in May. Thank you. Thank you.